The word common is used to describe something ordinary and routine. The word common is also used to describe something that's shared or has a connection. In our lesson today, when we're looking at Philippians chapter 1 about what is common, there's nothing described here that's ordinary and routine. In fact, it's extraordinary. It's supernatural. It's about supernatural grace and love and purpose and knowledge and righteousness and our eternal home. So I want you to listen as I read Philippians 1, 2 through 11 to you and see if you can't see all the things that we share in common as Christians. There's so many things we share. Today we're going to look at four extraordinary supernatural things that we have in common uh, because of God and our Father, our God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I've always prayed with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I've had you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me, God can testify how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We have so much in common, don't we? So much in common. I want to look, first of all, what we have in common is our family. Our common family. We share the same father, don't we? God is our father. And our father is so loving. He's so perfect. He's so graceful. He's so powerful. He's a God who always has our best interest at our heart. Who always wants best for us. And always keeps his word with us. Amen? This father loves us so much. We are his children. And he chose to unite us in this common love for our father into this common family, this church family that we have. Our father is working in all of us, it says in these verses, to complete the work that he started in us. And he promises us that he will finish it on the day of completion. He's not going to leave you unfinished. He's not going to leave you undone. He's going to work that. And the way he chose to do this is the environment of a family. He could have done it individualistically. He could have said, okay, I'm going to save you. I'm going to save you and leave you up to your own set of doctrines and live your life on your own and be isolated. But he knows what we all need, right? We need community. We need each other. We need a family. We need this bonding. And he says here, Paul, that not only are we in this church family, we get to enjoy the fellowship of being part of a common family. That fellowship of joy and that fellowship of getting to pray for each other and to serve one another and work together. So it's not only a fellowship, he says, we're a church family that has a partnership. We're working together. We're encouraging one another in the work that God is trying to do. It's interesting that when you go to most of Paul's letters and you go to the very end of them, you will find something they all share in common. You know what you find at the end of most of Paul's letters? A list of names. All these names that we just tend to skip over. We, oh, I finished the letter. I don't have to read about those names, right? 
Have you ever discovered about those, those names in the letter, how long they are, and sometimes very difficult for us to pronounce, right? But those names meant something to Paul, didn't they? Those were his church family, that extraordinary, supernatural, common family that he was part of. This group of people who were in fellowship with him, in partnership with him, who helped to advance the cause of Christ in the, in the gospel and to the world. And they saw themselves as part of that common family. To them, the idea of church being a building was absolutely foreign to them. They would have never associated church with a building. It was always about people. The people of God were and still are the church, aren't we? And we're in partnership and fellowship with each other in this common family of God. And as we grow in this relationship with God, he equips us for the good works that he's called us to do. And he doesn't do it in isolation. He does it in this context of a family. So all those people that Paul lists at the end of most of his letters, I encourage you the next time, slow down and read them. Read who they are, what they've done. I'm sure most of them thought, I'm not sure what sort of impact I'm making on the world for Christ. They might not have known the value that they had, but Paul knew their value. Paul knew their impact. And we read about them today, and they still impact our lives, don't they? When you go through the church directory, and you see all the list of all those names, and you're seeing, trying to get the pictures with the names, and, oh, I know that person, or I know that family, or I may not know them, but I'd like to get to know them. They're just not names in a directory, are they? It's just not a list of people. These are people of value. These are people that you're in fellowship with, people that you have partnered with in terms of spreading and advancing the cause of Christ. I think about it in our fellowship, people who have been with us, who've passed on, no longer with us. But while they were with us, they participated with joy in our fellowship. They were so involved in the participation of, of the jobs that we had to do and the ministries that we had to do in terms of serving their partnership in the gospel with us. Tremendous people. They added value. They added impact to our congregation. We're here today because of what they have done, right? And they have future impact upon as well. Who knows what we're doing today that might impact the future generations for Christ? You know, sometimes when I think about you or when I'm with you, I'm reminded of something that kind of makes me smile. I, I think sometimes there's probably not any way in the world that we would ever know each other if it wasn't for Christ. There's probably no way that our paths would have ever met. You ever thought about that? There's no way we would ever have this life that we're sharing together without God. But God, out of his love, saved you, saved me, put us in this church family, right? And now we have this fellowship together. I mean, just look around. Just look around for a moment. Man, we are so different from each other, aren't we? We're so different. And yet, because out of God's love, he brought us together into this loving family and in doing so, we are partnerships and in fellowship and get to spend our life together with the Lord. Isn't that great? To have that connection with each other. And never take that for granted. And never just say, well, that's just something we're saying. No, there's to be unity and strength and love and joy and faith in this common family of God. We need to invest ourselves into the church and not remain isolated from others. You have something to give. You have something to contribute. You have some way to make an impact. You have value to God's family. We're part of the family of God. And so this is something that has to be developed. In fact, that's why Paul says throughout this, knows how many times he said pray. What are we praying for? That our love may abound and abound even more so. We can't take our love for granted. 
We pray that that love will continue, that our love will be the same love that Christ has for us. We pray that we'll grow in our knowledge and discernment and insight. We don't have a blind faith. We're not walking blindly by faith. We're growing in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we meet as a family to encourage each other to grow. I mean, with your children, as tough as it's been this past year for many of you, you're having to work with them probably on a more personal level than you ever had, particularly there in public schools, because now you're with them teaching and trying to teach them as well, right? And so you have that importance of education, the importance of being together. But just think in the family of God, we learn, we grow, we discern. We pray for that love to abound. We pray that we will all grow together because that's how we are equipped for the work that God has given us to do, the work that God has for his church to do. And we're also equipped when we know and grow in the knowledge of God to be trained in knowing what is good and evil and knowing how to produce fruits of righteousness. We have a common, extraordinary, supernatural family, don't we? But Paul also says we have a common Savior. We have a common Savior. And in these verses we read, we are filled with the fruits of the righteousness of Christ. We're to love others the way Christ has loved us. We are to encourage one another to complete the good works that, Christ ha that God has in store for us, that he's given us through Jesus Christ. This grace he talks about, this grace of the gospel is all because of God's love for us through this common Savior. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross as our Savior for our sins, to redeem us and justify us and forgive us and one day glorify us in heaven with our new redemptive bodies. Amen? This is what, he, what he's doing for us, that faith we have. He is our Savior, our Deliverer. Uh, go for just a moment to Philippians 4, the very last part of this, and Paul talks about the subject of contentment. And he says he's learned this secret. He's learned the secret of how to be content. Not just to be content in certain circumstances, but in whatever he faces, he's learned the secret of contentment and what that means. And what he said was, it didn't matter the circumstances, whether he was hungry or well-fed, whether he was in want or had plenty. He had learned that in every and all circumstances, that he could 100% totally depend upon Christ and his strength, that Christ's strength would get him through those circumstances. And what's interesting is that as you're reading those verses, you notice that when Paul talks about the strength of Christ coming into his life, it's many times he's referring to the service, the love, and the encouragement that others who have Jesus as their common Savior has given him. He has experienced the strength of Christ through the service and love and encouragement from other Christians. How about you? You see, when you go out with Christ as your common Savior and you serve someone and you love them and you encourage them, you're being the strength of Christ to them as well. And that's what Paul is saying here. No matter how difficult the times, no matter how hard the circumstances may be, Paul rejoices that we have a common bond, our Savior, who then allows us to share in our troubles with each other. We're there for each other. If you look at the latter part of this verse that's on the screen, or towards the latter part, You'll see that, God, that Paul says that God is able to meet my needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. His needs 
were met through the riches of God. Right? See that? Through the riches of God. Now, just before that, he had referred to a person who had brought gifts from the Philippian church to help Paul in his time of need. They were very generous in their giving. So what Paul does, notice, he connects this. Their common family with a common Savior had led them to share with Paul what he needed. And that sharing of their generous gifts to Paul are the riches of God's glory that he's referring to here. God had used those people with the same Savior and that same family to reach out and help Paul in his time of need. And so Paul says that he treasures that. He calls it a rich, a richness, doesn't he? Think about in your life when you've had a need and a fellow Christian with a common Savior has reached out to you and helped you. Isn't that rich? Aren't those the riches of God's glory? Isn't that the strength of Christ coming into your life, the strength you feel from that as well? And the answer is yes. In fact, it's more than that, Paul says. It becomes to you an offering a fragrant offering, a sweet-smelling sacrifice that's pleasing to God. See, that's what it means to have a common Savior, that we have the strength of Christ that's there available for us and that God can work through us as His common family to help others because we know that love of Christ that's in us. But also having a common Savior, if you go to Galatians 3, is what unifies us. It's how we're unified. We're so different in so many ways, but we're united in this common Savior. In Galatians 3, Paul says, all those who put their faith in Christ, who've been baptized into the him, in, into him, rather, notice, all the distinctions, all the divisions between male and female, free and slave, Jew or Greek, or any other divisions among people are wiped away, and we're all one in Christ Jesus. I often hear our world talk about how do we get to be one? What do we have to cancel out? Who do we have to cancel out in order to have oneness and be one? And the answer is none of that. It's a coldless way to live. It's a cold way to live without grace. The way we're all one in this world is nothing we have to offer. Nothing. The, one, the way we're one in, in this world is through our common Savior. And the only way we'll ever be reconciled or brought together or have the justice we desire, is not from us. We will divide and conquer to the day we are all gone. But through Christ, our common Savior, all the divisions, all the separations are gone. See it? What are we? We're all united. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That's absolutely the only way you can have unity. And that's why Paul says he prays and rejoices when he remembers them in prayer because they are a united group with fellowship and true partnership in fellowship with one another. It reminds me of the story recorded in Genesis chapter 11. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. You remember this story? All the people, it said, had one goal. They were single-minded and they had decided to build this towering temple to idolatry, to go as high as they could or whatever tower it was in honor of their humanism and their idolatry of the time, their paganism and polytheism. And God says, we got to divide them up. We have to scatter them because as long as they remain disunited with the same purpose, 
They're going to accomplish exactly what they want to accomplish. So God divides them so they can no longer hear each other in the same language, right? Scatters them by languages and divides them up. Now, I love that point in that story, though, and I'm coming back to it right now. When we, united as a common family, love and serve a common Savior, we're that united, there is nothing that can stop the plan of God. Nothing. That's what God calls us to be, to be in that sort of unity, partnership, and fellowship. Hell cannot stop the church, the common family of God under a common Savior because we're under the strength of Christ. Amen? We're united together in purpose. So that leads us to that third thing. We have a common mission, don't we? We have this common mission. And our mission, our mission of the church is not stabilization. Although stabilization is important. Our mission in the church is to save souls. Our mission in the church is to bring other people to Jesus Christ. The good work that God is completing in us is to advance the kingdom of God, to equip us for every good work in Christ Jesus, to work together to spread the gospel message throughout the world. Sometimes we will personally share it. Sometimes we must defend it. Sometimes we will confirm it. And sometimes we'll be called upon to support it, like the Philippians were supporting Paul here during his time of persecution. But there are three words that mark our mission. Three words. Go, tell, make. What's the mission of the church? Go, tell, make. Go where? All the world. Tell what? Jesus Christ. Baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And make what? Disciples in every nation. And lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. Go, tell, make. That's our mission. And we've got to stay on that mission. So many times we can get distracted or get off mission, right? It's important that we grow in discernment and knowledge and grow and be stable and united. But all that's for a purpose. And the purpose is to have a healthy church family, fellowship, partnering together, that we can offer that same sort of love into a community that's growing and stable and a mission to save others for Christ and make them disciples. Now, I want you to go to Philippians 1, verse 7, 12 through 14. And remember I said earlier that Paul was talking about contentment. Remember? Learn how to be content in all circumstances. Can I remind you that when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison? And not only was he in prison, he was in chains. And not only was he in chains, he was chained to Roman soldiers. Now, you talk about staying on mission. Here's Paul talking about the mission. And he actually says that what is happening to him right then and there is advancing the mission, our mission, our common mission. So how in the world is that happening? He says, well, first of all, everybody knows that I'm in chains, not for something that I've done wrong, but I'm in chains for Jesus Christ. These chains belong to Christ. So everybody around me knows that I'm here as an ambassador for Christ. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Isn't that great? State on mission. Second thing he says is that some of those Roman soldiers became Christians. I mean, he had a captive audience, right? I mean, the church at Philippi, when it first started, before he was put in jail, one of the first converts in Philippi was a Roman jailer, right? Roman soldier. 
And so that has happened. When you go to the end of Philippians, you find that some members of Caesar's household have now become Christians. And Paul says, you're looking at me and thinking, oh, no, the mission's over. And I'm thinking, no, the mission's still going. I mean, I'm advancing the cause of Christ. I'm spreading the gospel. They know about it. Soldiers are hearing it. People are being converted. And even members of Caesar's household, the ones that are trying to kill me, they're becoming converted as well. That's the power of our mission. And not only is that the power of the mission, Paul says, those who come visit me that are Christians, they're not leaving discouraged. They're not feeling sorry for me. In fact, they're leaving with more boldness and confidence to go and share faith, their faith with other people. Don't you love that? Go, tell, and make more emboldened. And of course, the way we live, Paul says, is so important in our mission. We're to live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. We're to live it out. We're to live in such a way, our lives, that when the way we handle our circumstances, the way we handle the things that come up in our life, gives us an opportunity to fulfill our mission of sharing Jesus Christ with others. We're not fearful. We're not shy about that. We're confident about that because in our mission. Because we know beyond any shadow of doubt that the message that we're sharing about Jesus is the best possible news that anyone could ever hear in their life. There is nothing greater than the gospel of Christ. That's why you can't improve it or change it or revise it. It is the best good news possible. And those who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior come under the grace of God and are filled with the righteousness of Christ to the praise and His glory of God. It's an extraordinary, supernatural family with this great common Savior and this great common mission. And the fourth point, we have a common destiny, don't we? Just kind of look and peruse those verses there and you'll see two times he uses the term day of Christ. It's the day of Christ. Notice what he says in verse 3, uh, verse 6 rather, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. There it is. Then in verse 10, may you be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. When we live for Christ in a manner worthy of the gospel, that we have a common destiny, and that's the day of Christ. And that day of Christ for you will be a day of great reward and great rejoicing. That's what we all have to look forward to. And we will hear from Christ. He taught us this, that he will meet us at our common destination point and say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter in. Don't you want to hear those words from your Lord and Savior? Our common destination. Now, a third time he uses in Philippians is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. So let's go Philippians 2, verse 16. He uses this day of Christ again. Now, here's the context. Paul has said, you keep on working the work that God has put in you. And when you're going through this life, you quit grumbling and arguing. You change your attitude and don't be a grumbler, a complainer, and be argumentative. Stop it right now, he says. You need to realize and expect what kind of world you live in. The world you live in is crooked and warped. It's a crooked, perverse, and warped generation. That's the fact. That's what you live in. Quit grumbling and complaining and arguing about it. You can't change it anyway. But here's what you can do. If you'll live, Paul says, for God, the way that he's called you to live, 
You will shine like stars in the darkest night. You will shine like stars in this world. You'll be an influence. You'll make an impact. People will see what you're doing. And you will meet and realize your final common destination. You'll find your home in heaven. And that's why Paul says, And then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not labor in vain. I didn't lose you. You didn't trade in these days and give up your day of Christ. You kept your focus on your common destination. And you lived that way because you knew you had this destination as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Paul says everything will be completed on the day of Christ. That's when we'll make our bodies pure and perfect and blameless and holy, and we get to live with Jesus forever. That's our common destination. Now go to Philippians 3, 20 through 21. Let's look at another time he uses day of, the day of Christ. I think he explains it all like in one nutshell right here, what he's been leading to. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our destiny. And we eagerly await our Savior, our common Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they are like his glorious body. You see, our destination is heaven. Now, why is your destination heaven? Where's your citizenship? Where's your citizenship? It's in heaven. Your destination is heaven. You have a heavenly, you're just an ambassador here upon this earth. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Here we are but pilgrims. We, we don't sing those songs anymore, do we? I think we've gotten too much in love with this world, and we don't think about our destination. But when our citizenship is in heaven, then that's where everything needs to be. And I'm just an ambassador one day going back. That's why Jesus says two things about this life. He says, first of all, don't spend all your time laying treasures here upon this earth. But make sure you're putting treasures where? In heaven. Why is that? On this earth, treasures you can't take with you. There's no U-Haul on the back of your hearse taking you to the grave. Can't take it with you. Came into this world with nothing, you leave with nothing. You leave it all here. So all that energy, all that stuff you're spending on the things that are here, Jesus says, it's going to corrode and corrupt and die anyway. But lay for yourself treasures in heaven. That's your citizenship. That's your destination. That's where you're going to be. It's where you're going to live forever. Make sure you're storing up, investing in those things in heaven. Then the second thing he says is this. What does it profit us if we gain the whole world and we lose our own soul? What profit is in that? To spend all my efforts, all my thinking, all my decisions, all my relationships based upon what's best for me in this world. Where does it get me? I might profit a little bit here and might have some things that are here, but in the end, I have traded my day of Christ that should be filled with rewards and rejoicing for these days on earth that are temporary and will end. What do I gain if I spend all my time in decisions and relationships based upon what's best for me today and for my days here and neglect the day of Christ and my common destination. That's sobering, isn't it? It's something to really think about. That's why the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 10.25, one of the things we do when we get together, and we always need to do when we get together, is to do what? Encourage each other about this common destination. 
to remind ourselves we have a common destination. These days we're living are not the day. That day of Christ is what? Approaching. We have a common destination. And we need to encourage each other to not let the days of our life negate the day of Christ in our life. When you're feeling down and discouraged and when you feel lower than low, that is the time when you most need your family, your Savior, and be involved in the mission. And to remind yourself of your common destination. These days are temporary. These days will end. But the day of Christ is coming. It's approaching. Nothing can stop it. No one can stop it. And I hope you're looking forward to it. That's what Paul says. We look with eagerness and wait for it with great anticipation. On his day, our common Savior will use his unrivaled power to transform these physical bodies into our heavenly bodies. So we will be like him in his perfection to prepare us for our common destination in heaven to live with our common family forever. And our common mission is now complete. Amen? And that's what Paul says. We have so much in common. We have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to rejoice over. We have so much to do. We have a mission to accomplish. We have so much to learn. We have so much to look forward to. Thank you, Paul says, to God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And may we thank him today as well. We thank him for this supernatural, extraordinary, common family, for our common Savior, for our common mission, and our common destination. Well, this morning, if we can help you in any way to respond to the Lord's invitation, to be part of this, if you're online, please write to the email address on the screen or get hold of one of our shepherds, if you're a member of this congregation. They will help you any way that they can. If you're here this morning and you need some sort of encouragement about what it means to have this common life through Christ, uh, please give with one of our elders after services, or if you want to meet with Ken up front, you can do that right now as together we stand and sing this song.